When you're buying your first home, things can change all the time. But what do you do if you're working and saving on a buying plan for six months? And then right when you're ready to find your dream home and start making offers, the entire financial and housing markets change. I know most of the time people would think that's it. You're screwed. Actually, here's an interview with a listener. You get great tips from David who started planning and then had to adjust because right when he was ready to buy, suddenly interest rates were a full two and a half percent higher and prices were 10% higher. So it's tip time with David and David. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Oh My God, This Dude Bought a House, brought to you by the How to Buy a Home podcast. We're very, very excited to talk to my friend. He's the other David. He's the better David, the East Coast version. David, usually I like to do, instead of a little introduction, because people came here for the information. So everybody, this is David. He bought a house. Tell us what was probably the biggest thing that you felt like you learned in the process of buying a home. I'm starting with a whammy. Yeah, I know. There's a, I'm sure there's a lot I can throw out here, but honestly, for me, it was is budgeting was the biggest thing. Just figuring out what your budget was and how you can even make it happen. And so that was a big thing that your podcast really helped me through and, and a few other guides as well. So, Ooh, I'm always curious because I've got my guides. Did you have any, was it family? Was it friends? Do you have any websites or books? I don't want to put you on the spot, but was there, what else helped you? What has helped you in your life with budgeting? I'll be honest. I'm not the biggest reader in the world. I've never been, but I had a really good friend and he is. And so I just kind of soaked up as much knowledge from him. I made him do the heavy lifting with reading. And then him and I talk a lot back and forth. He's also in the looking for a house. And so we were bouncing off things left and right. He was a big help in that and kind of talking through what he's learned and what he's read and stuff. So nothing specific, but big shout out to Justin if you listen to this. Awesome. Well, Justin, thank you very much. And David, yeah, I do a podcast, dude. I'm with you on the reading. Thank God. The last 10 years, I've gotten a master's degree without cracking a book from other podcasts and audible.com. Thank you very much. Not a sponsor, but anytime they want to. Hi, guys. So, okay, David, now let's get a little bit of, of your background. There are people that are all different types, you know, ready to buy a home right now, trying to get the last little pieces together to no clue what they're doing, and they just flipped on the podcast. You just closed July 22nd, is that correct, of this year? Yes. Awesome. Give us your story. How long were you a renter before this summer? Yeah, so I've been renting for the last five years now. So out of college, started renting, and I knew in the back of my mind I always wanted to right, to eventually buy a home. I was living out in Ohio at the time, and luckily rent was pretty cheap out there. So about three, four years ago is when I started saving for a house and made some moves. I ended up here in, in, in Pittsburgh, and it kind of all came together, even though the housing market wasn't the greatest, but it all came together into one moment, and next thing you know, I'm a home buyer here. So for those of you who don't know, David bought in July of 2022, which means he was under contract in June. Now for three or four years, he'd been thinking, saving up and buying a house. So that means January of 2021, 
you were seeing prices go up and interest rates drop to like freaking two and a half percent. You kept saving through 2021. And then when you finally got ready to go, suddenly you're doing your thing and March and April interest rates start to shoot up. I mean, buying in June of 2022, people don't realize your interest rate went from three to five, right? Yeah, it went real quick. It's weird. I don't know if I had too much thought behind it or preparation. I just knew I was ready. Luckily, I was in no rush. I was ready to buy a home, but I was in no rush. I still had a lease on an apartment and if needed, I would just continue renting. So I think that portion helped me in maybe not pulling the trigger on something I wasn't fully ready for. But after checking out a few homes, I was able to find one. And yeah, the interest rates, I mean, yeah, they scared me. They're not great. But prices also on the houses were going down. It wasn't like I'm fighting to get my offer even looked at or something like that. So that portion was a lot easier than what I heard was going on previously before that. So even though the interest rates went up, it was it was easier to negotiate on the house and, and work with the, the agents to get something that worked for both myself and the seller. I wish I could explain that to people. People come to me and I've said it before in the podcast. People say, you know, there was a guy who ran a printing shop who said, you get two out of three, fast, cheap, and good. And, you know, just pick two because you're not getting all three. And everyone was freaking out in 2021 going, there's too much competition. And then guess what? In 2022, they're like, well, rates are too high. You get one or the other, babe. You get, you know, <laughs> that's the way it goes because there's a whole nother entity of people trying to sell the home. Okay. So for those out there who are like, I got no clue where I'm going. I'm just starting saving. I mean, I'm going way back here. Those three to four years, what were the things you did in the saving process? And then when did you kick into turbo boost? What got you going? Oh my God, I can actually do this. So for me, luckily, I'm a very structured person to begin with. But the biggest thing is just setting a budget and consistency throughout the entire process is when you're consistent, at first, it doesn't look like much. But after a year or two of consistent saving, next thing you know, that's when it starts creeping in where it's like, oh, man, you know what? I got some savings. I think I'm getting closer to be able to put a down payment down. I'd say the turbo boost really kicked in about maybe a year and a half ago is where I was like, okay, it's game time. Let's start putting more and more away. But yeah, what really kicked it off was just creating a budget, sitting down, figuring out, okay, where am I spending money? Where maybe shouldn't I be spending money? And where can I kind of scrape things together? I know when I first started off, listened to a lot of Dave Ramsey and great getting out of debt with that. I think listening to other people, this sounds terrible, but listening to other people in worse situations motivated me to, to make sure I didn't maybe get into those same situations they were in. And so that really pushed me to just stay on course, keep budgeting and do what I was doing until next thing you know, I'm like, oh man, I got enough for a down payment. Let's do this. Man, don't worry about it. It's like I'm running this whole podcast based on please don't be a dumbass like I was in my 20s. That's the whole thing. I blew it. And when I started doing real estate, suddenly I'm 36, 37 years old. And I went, geez, I could have half a million dollars today, but I got a $1,500 security deposit instead when I was 28. Yay for me. So, okay, let's go back to the specifics. Three to four years ago, getting on a budget, you're a structured guy. What do you use? Like, did you automatic withdrawal from your paycheck? Did you start a separate savings account? Like, let's get into the nitty gritty on that. I didn't have anything automatic, basically was automatic in the fact that when I got a paycheck, I immediately went in and did a transfer. And the thing is, I always had like, I always set a minimum. 
whether it was like, for example, let's say $500 eat once a month, I would put away. I would always make sure I hit that. Like that was always going in no matter what. And I'd make other things move around and work for me. And then the reason I didn't have it automatic was because then there was some opportunities, maybe some months where I maybe had a little extra to put into it. And so that would kind of not really force my hand, but that would allow me to then maybe put, for example, 700 in. And so making sure I always hit the minimums and then always sprinkling in when I could, that was kind of my game plan for all of those years. That's awesome. You know, I've got a podcast that I can, don't know if it's right before or right after yours with these awesome financial planners who help people who, you know, if you're not talked to about money as a kid, you just don't know how to do it. And they totally changed my mind because I'm like you. When the money comes in, I go in to the same bank and I just move it from one account to another. Their suggestion, which I love, is open a separate bank account someplace else. And I was like, ooh, then you don't see it and you can't just, you know, wash the money from one to the other. You know, it's not a slush fund. You have just have to move it directly someplace else, which you could do with an automated. Okay, so then a year and a half ago, what was the turbo boost? What was the kickstart? People out there going, okay, I found the podcast, but where did you go once you said, okay, I'm ready. I think I got enough. What was your first step? You mean as in like the home buying process? In the process, yes. Yeah. So I started listening to your podcast and you were the first step. I reached out to you. I said, it was funny. I sent you an email and I'm thinking, this guy's got a podcast. What are the chances he responds? You email back this massive, just massive email with all this information. I loved it because I'm, I'm an info freak. I want to take in as much as possible and kind of sort it out myself. So I love the fact that you sent all that info and helped me get a real estate agent in the area, a unicorn real estate agent. And shout out to Michael Young for helping me out with that. So uh, that was my first step is listening to that podcast, talking to not only my buddy Justin, but a lot of other of my friends were actually homeowners already as well. And they also had a lot of good input. So that was kind of the the starting point. And that's what really kind of made me go on the offensive. You know, it's like pregnancy or a new car or getting married. You start talking about with your friends, if they've been through it or whatever, everyone's going to have something to say. So, and I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You know, I love being able to just put the information out and let people decide for themselves. If you need a unicorn, awesome. Reach out. If you just want to take all the information and find your own, that's cool. Again, David's unicorn is in, in Pittsburgh. I'm in Southern California, but his unicorn and I were just in Arizona last week together. And we were talking about the process and he's glad that the buyers that I send to him and go, hey, you should talk to this person. They're educated and they've started the process. And I love to hear the fact that you got it from the podcast and from other people as well. Okay, let's get into it now. So what happened during the process? What were the learning things that happened through the process that when people come to you now, like you did to your friends, what are you going to share with them? Besides, of course, here's David Sinoli's podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Again, for being very informative and budget-based. The closing costs still threw me for a little bit of a loop. So I remember going back, there were several times where I would re-listen to some of your podcasts because, right, I want to be prepared. So I listened to it before it all happens. And then during the process of that section, I would go back to the podcast and listen again and be like, did I forget something? Do I need to pick up on something? So I did that a lot. And closing costs was one that I listened to, I think, several times because there's always a few extra fees or something that you're not including. And so I remember going into the process, I said I had X amount for closing costs. 
But then I forgot the fees on top of that. And I was simply doing a percentage of whatever I was going to offer on the house. And so I was working with a great lender as well, who I asked a bunch of questions to, and they were more than willing to help. And they provided me with a bunch of different kind of rundowns of what the fees would look like. And I'm glad they did because the first time I got one, I'm like, this is way more than I actually have for closing costs. And then it was because all the fees I had completely forgot about it. So I went back through, listened to your podcast again, had to learn a little more about that. Otherwise, I'm trying to- You're not the only one. David, let me tell you, I'm interrupting you because everybody, closing costs, just like the closing date is fluid, closing costs, forget it. If you Google it, you'll see 2% to 5%. That's a big difference. So I just tell people, save 4 or 5%. What's the worst thing you can do? Have extra money to fix up the house when you move in. And the reason is because the fees are set but there are so many different things like the big one you pay however many days are in the month that you close. So if you close on the 10th, you pay 10 days with your closing costs, but you don't pay from the 11th to the 30th. And then you don't pay the next month until the end of the month. So you really get like seven, eight weeks where you don't have a mortgage payment. But if you close on the 28th, part of your closing costs will be almost a full mortgage payment because you're paying all 28 days. That's just the way it goes. And then the taxes, you could pay, you know, depending on what state you're in, you might be paying five months of taxes ahead of time. That's a big chunk of change. So I'm so glad you said that. And David, I reread financial books all the time that I read when I was 30, because guess what? I didn't understand what they were talking about when they were, you know, talking about what to do when your kids are college aged or, you know, transferring your retirement funds from one to another. I didn't even have one when I read the book the first time. So re-listening is important. So, okay, closing costs. Any other parts of looking for the homes, the home inspection process, anything under the contract that you would share with if your brother came or your sister and said, I'm buying a house, what should I know? So honestly, this is a big recommendation of mine is my agent was great. And again, I asked during the entire process, I asked a bunch of questions and I was fine with that, right? One, all my answers or questions answered. So with my agent, they were more than willing to answer any questions I had. There's several times where I called them all the time. I was texting them, asking questions where I could. The lender was also really great in answering all the questions. So real quick, as a side note, for me, a big thing is having people that are very responsive. That's really important to me. And so that was a really important process throughout that. And so my agent, they recommended several different inspectors they've worked with that were good. And I did write a little vetting of them as well and and picked the one I liked. And again, the process was honestly very smooth. I'd say my biggest thing is if you want a smooth process, there's no dumb questions. I mean, you're most likely your biggest purchase of your life. Ask away, I think. I don't know about, my agent may say otherwise, but I always say ask away, whether it's a loan partner you're using or your agent or the inspectors. And I was doing the same thing when I was in there during the home inspection, asking all these questions I could just to get as much information out as possible. So luckily there wasn't too many surprises or anything that really scared me or something because I had a really good team around me that was more than willing to answer anything I had. So that would be my biggest kind of comment on the whole process. So yeah. You know, I tell people all the time, I have clients that have said to me, hey, like 
what's with all the email? Can you guys just text me? And so understanding the way that the people communicate is very important. And, you know, I might not, when I'm working with someone, I might not be available during the day, but I can respond to a text via email in the middle of the night. And it is very important to make sure you find someone like you can't feel like you're bothering them. Like I will text people a week after we close the deal and we're like, I miss you. We used to talk every day, like six times a day. Cause, but that's the important part is to have that relationship and have those other people to lean on. And I'm glad you felt comfortable. And it's funny because you're a very prepared individual. I can tell yet you still asked all the questions. Sometimes I'm looking at people going, you want to ask a question now? You really should. And they're just like, no, it's fine. And like, don't call me in a month then and tell me you don't like this house, you know? Yeah. Going back to your question of like, what do I felt like I could tell others? I was in an interesting situation where my girlfriend was in the process of also purchasing a home. And then my parents were in the process of selling a home. And so it all kind of happened after I had closed. I felt really cool. I was always like, yeah, I can help you out with this. I know how this process works. <laughs> And then with my parents, it was kind of on the other side of them selling. I kind of had the buyer's mentality. So I knew kind of what to look for and talk them through it. Luckily, again, both of them had good agents as well that, that worked with them. But yeah, you learn a lot during the process. My biggest thing was just reading contracts and making sure closing costs are where you want them to be. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, an inspection is really important. I, I would say those two things are the big things, closing costs and inspections. Because at the end of the day, when you sign those papers, right, you fork over the money for it. It's the closing costs that you want to make sure are good. And the inspection was as good as it could be. There's always issues that it may not catch, but you want to make sure you're asking the right questions during those two processes because those are right. It's the money and how good the house is. To me, that's the two most important things during the process. You don't want to mess up on those. So yeah, ask all the questions there and you'll learn a lot. And of course, listen to the podcast. There's plenty of episodes on all the aspects of those. I think the one thing that really freaks me out when I'm working with buyers is when they ask me for different inspectors and they ask me how much they cost. And I'm like, that's the last thing you should be thinking about. They're all going to be within 100, 200 bucks of each other. Pick the one that you feel like you're going to get the most information from and that's going to work for you. So, okay, you're in. It hasn't been too long in the house. Give us the update so far. How are you feeling not being a renter right now? <laughs> well, I'm actually still in my apartment right now. That lease ends here pretty soon. So actually, real quick for anyone who's kind of wondering, I worked with my agent. So my lease on the apartment was ending pretty soon. And I wanted to do a slower move into the house. There's a few things I wanted to just clean up. Not that there was many major things. But I remember I, I talked to my agent and said, hey, this is when my lease ends. I want to make sure I don't pay until this point in time and the way they set up the contract then made everything kind of work out because like you were saying you do your closing costs but then you don't pay that next month they set it up in a way that i didn't pay until later close to when my lease is up so that i didn't have like either four months of lease mortgage and my rental yeah so work if you can talk to your agent they can help you out with that for sure i mean mine did and that's right where the technology crapped out on us. And I lost David. Sorry, David. <laughs> yeah. If you're wondering what's going on, hi, it's just me now. This is David, just David, one David. The other David is gone. But fortunately, he dropped some golden nuggets of first-time homebuyer wisdom before the internet gods came in and shunned us. Before we lost David, the last point that he mentioned 
was about the overlap period, and that's between the end of your lease and the move-in day. Now, this is something that I've brought up on the podcast lots of times before and all over the YouTubes as well. It kind of ties into David's entire overall theme from the interview, and it that theme is just being over-prepared. But the cutoff there is good because I'll finish the thought for you because this is something that I really want to make sure this is such a giant tip for anybody buying a home. I don't care where, how, when you do it. Something you need to understand about the end of the lease and the move-in period to the home, what I call the overlap period. And a good prepared person like David, he was overly cautious and had a four-month overlap period. That's great. You don't necessarily need to do that. David found a way that he actually negotiated it so that he was comfortable with it for whatever the time period was with his lease or whatever kind of, you know, free situation they got from the seller. It worked out for him. But it's important that you know, we're going to break down the minimum guidelines that you can follow for the overlap period and not feel like you're double paying forever. Some of you out there don't want to deal with this, so you're just going to budget in paying both rent and mortgage for a month or two so you can guarantee yourself a stress-free move out and move in. And that's good because any of you know, if you've ever ordered anything online as a pre-order, a book, a phone, a t-shirt, the delivery date can often be fluid of when you actually get it might not be exactly what they thought it was. It's an estimation for sure, not a guarantee. But if you fully cheapskate out and you try to get your rent last day of renting to be your first day of owning, you could be homeless if things don't work out perfectly and your stuff from your apartment could all be in the back of your buddy's truck while you wait for your home to actually officially close. But I have good news. You don't have to budget too much to make sure that you got time. The first thing I will recommend that you do is budget for a minimum overlap of one month. All right, now look, don't freak out if you're, you know, penny pincher McFrugal. I do not recommend that you're trying to spend the last day of your apartment to be the exact same day of the first closing day of your home, but you might not have to double pay, especially when you understand how it all works. Yeah, this is really good news for you stingy Von Misers out there. By the way, I looked up Miser in the thesaurus and uh, it gave me this other definition. The word skin flint. Yeah, apparently skin flint is a real word that means a person who would save, gain, or extort money by any means. <laughs> so go ahead, drop that one in conversation with your friends. See how that goes over. Okay, back to good news for Captain Cheapy Cheapy, no likey to spendy. There is a built-in coverage period for you when you're buying a home, so you don't have to double pay for at least 30 days. So stop stressing about putting in the notice on your apartment and dropping that 30 day notice immediately after you get your offer accepted. This is how it goes. It works like this. If you close on the 15th of January, you don't pay your first mortgage payment until March 1st. You have no payment in February. So if you get an offer accepted on December 15th and you're set to close on January 15th, don't freak out about putting in your 30-day notice in December so you can line the closing and moving in for the exact same time. Now, as you close, you're going to pay the mortgage for the remainder of the months in whatever month you're in. So in this case, you're closing on the 15th-ish, and at the time of the closing, Part of your closing costs, which you've already oversaved for and budgeted, because as David found out, that figure is never a simple, easy equation. 
So like David, he just planned on saving, you know, anywhere from two to 4% of the sales price. And you just want to save that and have it there. And if you end up being less than that, great. It's extra for your new home. But back to the overlap example. So that closing cost that you have already budgeted for, that's going to pay for whatever time is left in the month. In this case, from January 16th to the 30th. So you get your offer accepted on the 15th of December to close on January 15th. You have a lovely holiday season in December and you don't have to put your notice in on your apartment. And about January 12th, you you figure out that everything's ready to go and you're signing your loan documents. And that's when you decide to put in your 30 day notice because you know you're going to close somewhere on the 14th, 15th, 16th, something like that. So on January 13th, you put in a 30 day notice and you're going to be out February 13th. Okay, you've already paid January 1st rent payment, so you're good to go. And the rest of your payments go like this. During the contract period, January 1st, you pay your rent payment, you're paid through the 30th. Around the 15th or so, you get the keys to your new home. So now you got your home and your apartment. And you've already paid the remaining January days through your closing costs. Now you've got both places and you get to February 1st, what do you do? Well, you don't pay a mortgage payment. Yeah, you don't have to pay for the double pay in February because now you just bought a home and you're paying on a mortgage schedule. So you're going to pay your rent on February 1st, but you put your notice in already and you only have to pay to the 13th. So you pay the 1st to the 13th, but that's all you're going to pay. You pay your rent ahead of the days you're going to live there. But in February, you're going to start paying like a homeowner. Mortgage payments, they're not due till after the time you live there. So your first mortgage payment is until March 1st because owning a home and paying a mortgage is the exact opposite of renting. You pay after the month that you live there, not before. So Mary McScrooge, chill out on trying to never pay for those extra days. I highly, highly, highly recommend that you take advantage of this overlap gap. That way you can have a complete and stress-free move, not to mention if you feel like doing a little rehab before you get in there. Unfortunately, got cut off there and David had a lot of other killer tips about being educated and being prepared. Being prepared, having an amazing team representing him and having his budget in place, having all that there, that meant that David could handle those extraordinary circumstances. Think about that. He was buying in the hottest bidding frenzy in history. He handled more than a 2% increase in rates. So he went from like three-ish to five-ish. It's like a 66% raise in interest rate. That's crazy. And he said that he learned a lot from other people's stories and mistakes, even though he felt bad about it. I encourage you to go back and listen to David's story again. And don't forget, you know, his two big tips, money and picking the right house. He was talking about closing costs, preparing for that, and not going cheap on your inspector, making sure you right, have the right house. One of the things I always like to tell people is if you're buying a $400,000 house and you're deciding between a $700 inspector and a $1,000 inspector, it's like you're trying to save 300 bucks. Look, the $1,000 for a $400,000 house is 0.25% of the price of the home. Not the place to actually go all super chintzy. Feel free, splurge here. It'll help you in the long run. I hope these interviews help you see two big things about buying a home. One, 
you learn that there are lots of people out there that actually have situations that might be similar to yours, and they have lots of great experiences that you can learn from. So share this podcast with friends and family so they can realize what they can do. And secondly, I think it's great for you to realize that while there are a lot of similarities in a lot of the interviews that we have here on the podcast, each buyer on the podcast, they do have a truly unique story. Yeah, lots of things are the same, but everyone has individual little tweaks they do to create their specific path, their journey to home ownership. And with a unicorn team, you're probably going to find a path that you didn't even know existed. So take action, get planning, and you can do this.